when you say yes and you know you shouldn't have said yes, when you're adding more things to your life, when you're saying no to things that could actually be good, how do you feel? What makes you frustrated? What makes you angry, overwhelmed? Um, all of those things that you don't want to feel. And that's a beautiful space to start creating some boundaries to really minimize the occurrence of those feelings. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life, and we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad, and we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Hello, friends. In this episode of The Ziggler Show, it's more than, I think, just another podcast. This is a personal counseling session for me. We're with Nedra Glover Tawab. She's a licensed relationship therapist whose focus is boundaries. And I mean, that very term just doesn't hold any attraction for me at face value. I mean, I want to be Superman. I want to say yes to everything and be able to handle it all. I mean, superheroes don't have boundaries. If you're really out to serve humanity, you don't have any limits. You don't protect yourself, right? Jocko Willink. He's a famous Navy SEAL whose Jocko podcast is wildly popular. Everyone wants to be diehard like him, right? He posted on Twitter not long ago, smash through the boundaries. And it showed him trying to lift a heavy weight. That was the focus. But he also posted this. Leaders need to push themselves and their teams while also recognizing their limits in order to achieve a suitable pace and avoid burnout. Burnout. There you go. I find people like him have far more boundaries than the normal person. They say no to many good things that would deplete them. So when they say yes to great things, they can engage at full power. Join me here. That's what we're talking about. We're going to have a deep discussion with Nedra on the admitted difficulty, but massive opportunity in having boundaries and how it doesn't limit us to doing less, but frees us to do far more. It's just a dichotomy. Her message on boundaries has just caught fire. It's resulted in over a million followers on Instagram alone. I pursued her for the show because I need the message. I've been making tangible changes in my life as a result of talking with Nedra. You're going to hear us discuss specifics from her new book. It's called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. You can find that, of course, wherever you get your books. So here are some show sponsors. Then we're going to get into it. And I bring you Nedra Glover Tawab. Nedra, this book is not just one that I thought would be good for the audience. It's one that when I saw it, it was a bit of a call back to me of this is still something that at 50 years old, I have not done well in my life. And it's about time that I do. So we're not just talking about a great message from you. We're talking about something that I have literally started 
applying to my life. So this is a free counseling session. You ready? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. This, you know, first off, tell people what the catalyst was for you coming forward with this book, devoting yourself to the message of boundaries. What was happening in your own life? Um, well, much of it was my early understanding of what boundaries are and what a lack of boundary can look like. I, um, I had some pretty struggle bus boundaries back in the day and I didn't have the language to describe it as boundaries. Um, but I knew that I was trying to set like these limitations with people and I was receiving a lot of pushback. And as I stepped into a therapeutic space, I saw that other people were having some of the same issues and it really helped me shape my perspective around the importance of our deed for um, healthier boundaries and how we can be more assertive and really create um, situations that make us feel a little bit safer and, and healthier. You know, the boundaries that I'm trying to create, you just said limit limitations with people. It feels like that is the primary issue. We're not talking about looking so much at the roles and tasks and the things of my life, but in really in relation to other people. I mean, is that the majority, can we, is that safe? Is that fair to say that the majority of what we're talking about here is in our relationships with other people? I think the majority of what we're talking about is in our relationship with ourself. Okay. And our relationship with ourself impacts other people and what we um, allow, don't allow, what we put up with, don't put up with, what we um, engage in and, and so many other things. I had a counselor one time give me a dashboard. It was kind of an emotional dashboard and said, mm -hmm. Kevin, you need to learn to start leaning in and understanding these feelings because you don't really understand much more than maybe anger. That's uh, just the, mm -hmm. base, the, the basic one. And as I have continued, not, not as much as I would like to, but continue to look into that, is that a fair place to start with for people with boundaries to say, You've got to be aware of your emotions. And when your emotions are negative in regards to people, tasks, whatever, that's a telltale sign. Yeah, that's so good. Absolutely. And not just your emotions, but how you physically feel, which can be impacted by your emotions and your feelings, right? Like how yeah. you physically feel um, before you say yes and um when you say yes and you know you shouldn't have said yes, when you're adding more things to your life, when you're saying no to things that could actually be good, how do you feel? What makes you frustrated? What makes you angry, overwhelmed? Um, all of those things that you don't want to feel. And that's a beautiful space to start creating some boundaries to really minimize the occurrence of those feelings. So in looking at that, and I know you go through so much in the book, and I'm going to continually advocate that people go get the book because it's something to study. I generally you know, have a book and I'll under underline the important parts. I didn't underline much of anything because it was all so important and so relevant uh, for me. So there's literal, literal testimony. I told somebody this just the other day. Just dip the book and die. Just, just dip highlight it. it. Dip it and die yeah. and keep moving. Well, book. Which is, is, is somewhat disappointing that I feel that much of a need for boundaries. But I want to hit some high points. And one is obviously it's not 
will speak to because it's easy for somebody like me then to look at it and go, okay, so if I am paying attention to my emotions, to how I physically feel, if it doesn't feel good, I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You're not saying that necessarily, but how do I audit that? Because not everything in life that we do need to do feels good. Mm-hmm. Help, us, help us reconcile that. Yeah. So I would, I would wonder what is causing the pause because sometimes pausing or not wanting to do something is a sign that you shouldn't do it. Right. And sometimes it is not what's behind the pause. Is it, it's just not a fun task or is there some danger or disorder that could happen if you agree to do this thing? Is there danger and disorder if you get up and wash your clothes? No, right? It's just something you don't want to do. (laughs) So that's a little different. But could there be some chaos if you agree to a sixth meeting in your day? Yeah. Possibly. You know, there could be some danger there. And so it's really about figuring out What's something that you just want to avoid because you don't like it, you don't want to do it, you wish it wasn't a thing you had to do? And what's something that you really don't have to do and you really can walk away from it or you really can't say no to it? So looking at somebody like me who is, I'm a doer. And I look at that, I, I, I don't want to have boundaries. I want to not have excuses. I want to be Superman. And that's mm-hmm. my complex there. What I first, I think what first made me feel reluctant here is thinking, Oh, having boundaries just means I do less. So let's just go to like to a business mode in my career, in my work. That means I have to do less and I want to produce more. I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. admission. I mean, if I could, I would say I I want to clone myself and just do more. I enjoy doing more. So if I'm going to set boundaries, does that mean I just have to do less? No, but is there joy in everything that you do? Do you have to be the person to do it? Are there some things that you could delegate? Are there things you'd rather be doing, but you can't do those things because you're doing all of these things? I'm a doer as well. I am, you know, I enjoy, and I would say that I function better um, with a deadline. When I have multiple things sort of in the pool, it gives me the motivation to get things done because I really can't, you know, sit down and watch TV for four hours because I have something that I have to to be doing. So it actually shapes me into being more productive. But I am also about hardcore rest. I go to bed um, for eight hours a night. I wake up and I have, you know, a one a wonderful morning routine. Like there are things that I want to do to feel restored. So it can't all be about being productive. I think being productive is beautiful and great and I love it. But I also need to rest. I also need to have fun. I also need to do many, many other things. Well, is it fair to put it in kind of the working smarter category, meaning like that? So if I'm one of those people and I'm going to say, you know what, I can get by on four to five hours of sleep and then just slog mm-hmm. it out. Well, I mean, I literally know as a you know, health and wellness professional that, no, if I get eight hours, which is my average, then mm-hmm. in the time that I can work, I get more done. I'm more, I have more clarity. I have more creativity. I have more, uh, you know, decision-making skills. Can we say the same thing with boundaries? So instead of doing 15 tasks today, if I 
relegate that to the 10 that I really want to do, that I'm really mm-hmm. positioned well to do, I am going to do those better, get more, uh, get more production out of those, may, uh, you know, get them done more deeper as opposed to spreading myself out. I mean, is that kind of a simple layman's term, fair way to look at boundaries? Absolutely. I think boundaries can be making sure that you're having enough rest to be productive because studies have shown time and time again that, you know, um, our brains are just a little slower when we're not rested. It's like you're on a drug almost like you can't focus as intently as you could if you if you just rest. We think that we're saving time by cutting out sleep. It's like, what can I cut out to do more sleep? And it's like, that's the last thing you want to cut out. If yeah. you want to cut out anything, don't make a full breakfast. <laughs> like eat oatmeal or something like cut time there, yeah. you know, but don't cut out your time on the thing that actually gives you energy. So take somebody like me. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself as a well, you know, who, who are boundaries? Let's start off. Who do you find, not, not necessarily unless you want to, to get into personality styles or propensities, but who are boundaries hardest for? If you, who's the avatar of who you know, oh, that, that's the person who struggles the most with setting boundaries? People pleasers. Um, the hardest people to, that accept boundaries, if we're thinking of personality traits, um, people who are highly disagreeable. Um, I talk about that in a little bit in the book because I really, my favorite personality test is the big five. Um, And in that test, it looks at all of these personality styles and disagreeableness is the one where if you, you tell this person, no, they're like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why can't you do it? You have enough. You're like, they'll challenge you. Right. And Anything that we know about people is beautiful information, even if we don't like it. It just helps us to understand how to respond to this person because we know they're going to say why. Um, So it's not a reason to not set boundaries with that person. Same thing if you have a high tendency around people pleasing. It doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries. It just means that you may experience a bit more discomfort than the person who is not as big of a people pleaser. You can still set boundaries. You can still practice doing it because you can do things and not be super comfortable with doing them. So in looking at a people pleaser, there's obviously a fear or risk associated with setting that boundary. Is there a myth in there that you would say, Um, like in that fear and risk that people have, is there a myth of it's not actually going to be that bad? Or is there some ponying up and going, yeah, it might be, but you still have to do that to protect yourself. The myth is the other person won't like it. They'll push back. And ultimately, for a people pleaser, they'll be mad at me. Right. Well, and that so and that's I mean, you talk about that in the book. That's going to happen with some people. Some people are, like you said, going to have that bad response. So then I guess go to the other side. What is the and I know this is a simple aspect to ask, but what is the payoff? What is a primary payoff? If you look at the average person who's burning the candle at both ends, who's stressed out, like we all are, we're in this cultural phenomenon. What would you, if you could grab them by the shoulders and look in and give them, what would you say? This is the benefit you're missing out on primary number, number, you know, top tier living. 
you know, work is one part of life. Family is one part of life. Relation, you know, relationship with a partner is one part of life. We can't be 100 percent if we are solely focused on one area. Yeah. So we have. Go ahead. Go go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. We have to have some diversity in who we are and what we do. We have to have those connections outside of one thing to even have energy for the one thing. You hear about a lot of, you know, artists who will say, you know, I just go to things and I sit quietly because this is a part of being creative, observing. Yeah. Right. Like you can't always be creating the art, even not creating the art helps you create the art. And so you have to do these other things to even have energy. And I find myself, you know, like I'm not in therapy mode. I'm just at a party. But I notice these things and it helps me. (laughs) You know, it helps me. A lot of examples in the book. I gave examples of, you know, dealing with the 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 person who stands too close to you in line or the person who over discloses at a party. I've experienced those things. And that comes from being outside of work. Yeah. Right. And so you experience a lot of things that you can that can help you be productive just by living. When you talk about a specific example like that, and I do want to go through the six type of boundaries, just take a, at least a, a, a you know a brief walk through those when you are experiencing those let's say out in social situations, whether it's, you know, work or some social gathering, how often when someone's infringing on you, let's say on fringe on a boundary, how often do you find yourself speaking to that, like addressing that and, and asking for their you know, participation? And how often do you find yourself just saying, I'm just going to remove myself from that because that that's one that I still struggle with. I still, I probably always will is when it's mm-hmm. appropriate and still, mm-hmm. and out of kindness, can I, do I speak to it or do I just remove myself? You know, I think it depends on the situation. Some situations, um, you may feel a need to really advocate for yourself. If it's a situation where someone, I was at a concert one time and someone was like, I could not move my hands. <laughs> That's how close they were to me. Like, I just felt like I was in a little tiny box. And I did tap them because there was so much space in front of them. And I just tapped them and I said, hey, can you move up a bit? And it's funny because the girl recognized me. She's like, oh, she's like, hey, boundaries. Can you just move up a, a little bit? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a nice little chat, but I don't think she was even paying attention. You know, I don't think it was anything personal. She just she didn't know what was behind her. She only knew what was in front of her. I saw her standing there in the space in front of her. She might have thought it was an equal amount behind her. And so I was uncomfortable. She wasn't. And so it is my job to say, hey, in this situation, would you mind doing blank? And there are other times if you're tight somewhere and no one can move, you know, no, I'm not going to say, hey, can you move over two inches? It looks like we're all, you know, suffering the same fate here. Um, So... You know, it really depends on how uncomfortable you are, uncomfortable you are, if the environment can be changed. Because, you know, let's face it, we say, you know, set this boundary at work, no work on vacation, all of this stuff. And sometimes it's just not possible. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's great if you can have the boundaries, but sometimes we cannot. And I don't want to be a boundary elitist like you can have them where 
whoever you are, sometimes you can't. You will not have a job right. if you have certain. You cannot be a, a tax accountant and at tax time you want to take a vacation. That just typically doesn't work, right? Right. Um, so you do have to be mindful of the setting and the surroundings and the discomfort um, in setting your boundaries and knowing when to and when not to. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with Nedra Glover-Tawab. Next, I ask Nedra about the level of personal awareness needed to even know where our boundaries are, are, are going to be necessary. And she actually feels that many of us are devoid of boundaries because we've spent too long suppressing our needs and values. I think you're going to find a lot of confirmation and hope in what she shares next. Again, her book, if you want to dig in to your own healthy boundaries, is called Set boundaries, find peace. Here then are some show sponsors and then we'll get back into it. You, how about personal awareness? I mean, there's got to, when I look at that and I read that and realize that it to, going back to my emotional dashboard and the counselor saying, you know, Kevin, you're not real aware of your own emotional dashboard, and what the feelings are. To have, for me to have healthy boundaries, for someone to have healthy boundaries, as I read through the book, I realized it is going to require me to have more insight into my own awareness, especially, you know, emotional, physical awareness, that that by proxy is like, so I read the book, I get excited about it. It made me feel like, okay, now I need to sit down and do the exercise of understanding myself and is there, I don't know, maybe I don't, there's not a great way to do that at the get go, as opposed to just being aware moment by moment of those things that you feel infringed on. Mm. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if we're unaware of our boundaries because we've suppressed yeah. our needs and values so much that we just, we don't even know anymore. We don't even know why we like something or what makes us uncomfortable because we've been in this pattern of just doing stuff that that maybe doesn't fit. I was talking to someone earlier and I said a lot of our boundaries are grandfathered in. We've gotten our boundaries from our great great grandfather. We don't even know why we have certain boundaries. We don't even know why we don't have certain boundaries. Yeah. It's just like, why do you even do that? What's this rule for? And we can't even explain it. Well, from, why don't you do this? Yeah. From we a, don't know. from a performance based standpoint. I mean, so I embrace that. So I admit that I, as a youth, I embraced performance, whether it was sports. I mean, I was a professional athlete and in that you don't have, you don't want, you don't have boundaries, at least during the race. Right. I mean, there's, there's none, you're going for the line and you don't, that's great. If it's a, a bike race, not so good mm -hmm. in a marriage, uh, and I think it's, so, yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in the performance. For me, endurance, I remember my wife talked about that, endurance. That's great for your bike race. It's not the thing that's going to make our marriage flourish, is mm -hmm. that. And, well, you know, to that, do you find that, I mean, it feels easy to say, yeah, men are more emotion suppressing and more apt to not have boundaries, or is that not fair? Actually, when I think about the average mother, I would think, no, they're, they're pretty bad on boundaries as well. Cause you think you got to be everything for everyone. So is it pretty even amongst mm -hmm. men and women? 
I think both struggle with boundary issues and those things just look different. I think for women, it does um, come down to over-nurturing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for men, it's more of an internal process. I think sometimes men lean a little bit more towards having rigid boundaries Hmm. and women lean more towards having porous boundaries. Um, But I think both of those things are boundary issues where, you know, in a, a, a typical, I don't want to say typical or traditional, but for the lack of, you know, another term, you know, it's said that the mom is soft and dad is hard. What are we saying mm-hmm. here? Mom is more permissive and dad is more of an authority figure. And so that's rigid versus porous boundaries. You could go to mom and say, hey, can I have ice cream at 9 p.m. after I just had a popsicle? And she'll say yes. And dad will say this will never happen. Right. <laughs> give so, give a, a bit of a definition of that of rigid and porous boundaries. I mean, I read the book, I got that, but just give everybody listening that. Yeah. So rigid boundaries are ones where we have no flexibility. We build walls. We use words like always, never, because we don't want anybody to take advantage of us. So we've taken the boundary so far to feel safe that we have locked people out or really withheld any ability for things to be flexible. With porous boundaries, that's um, more of a style where you're permissive. And so you may know that you should say no, but you won't say it. You feel bad for saying it. You let people do things that, you know, may not be healthy for you or even them. Um, You have difficulty saying no, and you typically don't even use that word. You let people sort of have their way because it makes you feel um, safe to be liked by people. Yeah. I, I think just prior to this show, I'll have, we'll have published a show by Shanti Feldhahn and she's known for her book on kindness. And what stood out to me is she's saying, this is how you, you know, react with unconditional kindness, you know, towards people. And when we do that by proxy, we just expect reciprocity and that's, you know, that's going to bless them and they're in turn going to bless us. She says, we hope for that. But what their study, her studies show is doing, being kind, ultimately, even if it's not reciprocated, it just benefits us. It just gives us Mm. more peace. It gives us uh, more joy in that. So likewise here with the boundaries, do you find that as well, that when we are setting healthy boundaries, again, going back to the relationships, hopefully it will help make that relationship healthier overall. But even if it doesn't, if the other person does react poorly over here, well, you said back to that, what, 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 you know, that we, it's having the boundaries with ourselves ultimately just gives us that peace regardless. Yeah. And it, it does make you feel better. It makes you feel certainly proud of yourself. It makes you feel more confident. It makes you feel like you are leading a valued life because so many times um, our lives are not in line with our values because we're not able to implement those boundaries. It's interesting to use the word proud, Nedra, mm. because I think with with my lack of awareness, I have looked at boundaries, limitations, excuse, you know, whatever, anything, anything other than a yes, I've looked at and probably struggle with shame and guilt. And you talk about guilt. 
you know, mm-hmm. in the book, and yet you're using the word proud. I mean, for me, that's a paradigm shift because yes, I look at that and go, this is something that's healthy. I am proud I sleep eight hours a night. Mm. How can I become, well, that's your call out is I need to be proud of having healthy boundaries instead of, and for me, it's doing things. I think a primary one is doing things and being bitter about it, which does not help my relationships. I can see the look in your eyes when you use the word proud and it just, it lights me up. And actually I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, really good about that because I'm a parent of two girls, five and seven. And we all used to be so, so proud of ourselves as children, tying your shoe, picking up a rock, finding a daffodil, getting your first cup. We were so, so proud of ourselves. And I think somewhere along the way, we started doing things where we dishonored ourselves and we don't use the word proud anymore. But I think, you know, little Kevin <laughs> used the word proud a lot. <laughs> Whatever that was, like you used to be so proud of yourself all the time. But in the adult vocabulary, we don't use proud to describe ourselves. We say oh. proud sometimes when we are congratulating someone from graduating from high school. We say, I'm so proud of you, maybe to a little kid. But how do we be proud of ourselves for doing these adult things that are still first, that are still um, miraculous? We're still doing really great things. How do I make myself proud? Because that is that is a feeling like no other. I mean, I wish I could go back in time to see myself make my first sandwich. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I probably passed out when I did it, how proud I was to be able to fold two pieces of bread together. That's just it's an amazing feeling. Oh, it's so interesting. You said that because I have kids. I have, my oldest is 25. And my youngest is eight. And mm. to see them go from that childhood joy and pride and whatever, and then to get that age of awareness, which I've got some kids in there right now, and then to see them get over here and they deal with shame and guilt and things. So I came to a point of saying, my gosh, I think one of the best things guys is just pattern your day after what will make you feel proud of yourself. And I actually put something out. It's been a couple of years ago on social media and people really struggle with it. Nedra using that word mm-hmm. proud, especially the Christian segment where they pride, you know, pride go with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've got those, those negative perspectives of pride. So I had somebody say, I think it was Tom Ziegler. He said, well, let's maybe try to use self-approval. Can people use that as, as a word, but we relate to proud. Do I do things that I not prideful, but that I'm proud of myself. I don't, I feel like we have a depressed culture. We do not have a culture that's proud of the self. That word you use dishonor. How am I doing things that dishonors myself? That's dramatically convicting. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's going to stick dishonoring myself. Yeah, I was speaking with someone who as as more people were being vaccinated, they were really struggling with uh, going into social spaces without a mask. And what they talked about was, I don't want to be ostracized because I'm the only person with right. a mask on. And I said, well, what would make you proud? And they said, wearing the mask. I said, well, honor yourself. Yeah. Honor yourself. Interesting. If you're the only person there with it on and that feels self-honoring, 
honor yourself because you would be dishonoring yourself to not do that. And I don't know if you would be proud of yourself if you didn't do it. Okay. Speak to right now in the culture, as much as masks and, and vaccinations, I have never seen more real estate in the media given to the term narcissism. <laughs> and I've read, you know, a, a lot on that. And, and there's a lot of people that feel like we have a culture that's becoming more narcissistic and I, not, not to go on a, a, a bent towards that, but when we talk about that, even honoring yourself and doing these things mm -hmm. that have boundaries, just hit against that because that's such a buzzword right now. And you, again, mm -hmm. you speak to it that this is not about just narcissism and self-pleasure and, and, and uh, not having care for other people. But again, I'll use that word, reconcile that for people because I know it's going to hit a lot of people. And it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, honoring yourself is not about harming other people. Narcissism is about hurting other people and honoring yourself always. <laughs> and I think in any situation, there will be give and take in a healthy relationship. There are going to be some things where um, it's not going to demean you to honor the other person, but it may not be something you want to do. I think about, you know, my friends and their birthdays when they, you know, have these outfits outdoor activities and they're like we're going to go do this and i will do that on your birthday <laughs> because i'm such a great friend i'll do it i don't want to do this any other day this year though yeah. <laughs> right yeah you know like that is that is my give you know i am willing to do this for you because this is a special day it makes you happy i can give you that um, if you demand this every single day, every single weekend, that is a bit much. I think that's a hard ask of people. But if you're asking someone to do something occasionally, I think that is that is healthy within a relationship. Um, and it depends on what you're asking, because some things just can't be fulfilled by some people. And so it really does depend on what you're asking. And I agree with you. I think narcissism is certainly having um, a publicity run right now. And I do yes. think that narcissism is a very, very real thing. However, I think we have to be very careful about using mental health terminology and a social capacity without the right tools to develop or diagnose someone as a true narcissist. Because if someone is truly a narcissist, they are this way in multiple settings. And sometimes what we're seeing is just with us. Not to say that, you know, we are the cause of that, but it's, it's hard to um, diagnose someone in a social setting. And really, you know, as therapists, we are taught that we shouldn't, right? So yeah. I shouldn't you know, say, well, this celebrity is that based off of this. It's like, I don't know, because I would have to know how this person functions at home, at work, at school. Like these things matter too. Now there are some things where people are, are being narcissistic. I just wonder if maybe um, we've gone too far in some cases of saying this person is, this person is, this person is, uh, because it's, what I don't think is as common as we're seeing. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if you remember, but it seemed like it used to be a lot of movies about people with um, now it's dissociative identity disorder or multiple personalities, right. right? That is so rare. 
that is so rare for someone to have multiple personalities. But there was a time when people would say, oh, they have a multiple personality as if it were true. And it's like, no, they just have mood swings. (laughs) That's not not a personality shift or, you know, bipolar used to be a bit. Oh, they're just bipolar. And it's like they changed their mind. That's not bipolar. And so you you do have to be careful as we are defining these things without the context, without um, even a history of what's happening. Because if our boss comes to us and they present as a certain thing, can we say that our boss is a narcissist or do we call them a mean boss? Like, I don't know. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I agree. It, 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 it feels like we're giving these clinical mental health labels more and more as opposed to saying probably out of hurt and brokenness, that person is exhibiting these traits, narcissistic traits or multiple personality. That's different than giving them. They, I think they have this clinical label and that feels like what the, uh, I, I like what you said, the publicity uh, run right now that narcissism is having. So that, yeah, obviously not what we're talking about here with boundaries. And on this, I I do want to make mention at least of your six boundaries, because I'm going to, I, I bet you'll agree with saying, look, we are all, it's like saying, uh, you know, if we took diabetes and saying, I have it or I don't, well, my business partner, who's a doctor said, no, we're all on the spectrum of manifestation of that, that here with boundaries, healthy boundaries, bad range that we're you would say we're all on the spectrum of diabetes. No, no. Of, of just unhealthy okay. boundaries. Just, I'm just like, no, a- I just had a handful of jelly beans. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny. Uh, no, no unhealthy, unhealthy boundaries. And so to be to give us all a little taste of awareness. Cause we could, we could have somebody in these six and say, gosh, in this area, you've got great boundaries mm-hmm. in this area, man, you're really suffering. That was really helpful for me to walk through that. Cause mm-hmm. I, let's just start off and hit, hit some highlights for us, Nedra, that with physical boundaries, cause I could real quick, I think a lot of people could hear that go physical boundary. No, I don't think I have any problem with that. And yet you've got it listed as a primary one. So where are some areas maybe of where we're often unaware that we are having unhealthy physical boundaries? You know, I think we all assume that people like to hug, people like shaking hands, people like you standing close to them. And so we have these like awkward moments um, and we get really offended if someone says, you know, hey, I don't want to hug. But everyone doesn't like to be touched. We're certainly entering this new like para pandemic phase where people are not going to want to shake hands and, and hug and all of these things. And so just being a little flexible in our thinking around that and trying not to personalize that could be really helpful to um, people who are setting boundaries within physical space. Um, the thing that we think about the most with physical space is, you know, sometimes like inappropriate touch and that sort of thing. But I think every day it's just like how we like to be greeted, how we like people to um, maybe distance themselves or be closer to us. That, that's one that I dealt with. I had a, a guy, kind of a mentor, and he's a hugger. 
and mm-hmm. a lover of people. And I took that on and embraced that and then had to realize, uh, cause I'm also, I can be pretty, um, you know, personally assertive and I would just, Oh, I'm going to hug everybody and realize, man, that is not kind to some people who don't like that. Of course, we're at a time period right now, as we record this in June, 2021, where I've never dealt with as much uncertainty with physical boundaries because of COVID and people, mm-hmm. you know, you walk along the sidewalk and they're going to distance. And I feel like a, a, a perpetrator of something mm-hmm. and having to be more aware of that. Well, it's interesting. You talked about, uh, an aspect of, you know, be like inappropriate touch. It's interesting. Cause I would assume that within physical, you would include sexual things, but you actually break that out into a different boundary. Why? Because it's such a big one. And I think with sexual boundaries, um, we often think about touch, but it's also verbal. It is also um, the things we post online and maybe we don't even have a caption. But I think there are so many sexual things that people can do that they may not know um, are inappropriate. You know, certain comments or certain you know, things to be said about someone's body can be, you know, rather inappropriate. And it's not assault. It's not molestation, but it is still assaultive because it is unwanted and sometimes inappropriate, you know, whether it's online, in school, at work, you know, people deserve a certain level of respect unless they are inviting, you know, some of these things. And there are ages where people can't consent. You know, like we have a lot of judgments around, you know, um, how people look and, you know, what they had on and these sort of things. And when I am working with people who have experienced some sort of sexual trauma, I think about this um, and because, oh, you were at a party, you were in college and, you know, all this stuff and people will blame them. And. I think about, you know, if you have a car and you leave your car doors unlocked and somebody goes in your car and they steal, you know, your iPhone, they broke into your car. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if the doors were locked. It doesn't matter if um, you had a flashing light on the seat to invite them in. They broke into your car. Why? Because they didn't have permission to be there. Your car is the boundary. Yeah. Like there it it the locks, yes, that's a, a second to your boundary, but the first step is this is not your car. <laughs> like you you can't just go in anyone's car whether the doors are open or not. So they shouldn't have even been playing with the handle. Not their car. Yeah. I mean, this is another one that when you go past say, yeah, we're not talking about sexual, just on a physical aspect, but what we say, I mean, right now we've got to be at a height of uncertainty in trying to be sensitive in regards to all that's out there right now and dealing with sexual orientation and and gender and whatnot. And it feels like it's hard to know what is, well, when you talked about that, when you've broken into somebody's car, that's a violation. So over Mm -hmm. here, how to not violate sexual boundaries feels, I don't know where that's going to go. I'm not an expert in that area. I just feel like we're at a heightened sensitivity, uh, to that. That's, that's, yeah, just a lot of uncertainty of how to be safe in there. Yeah. In the nineties, they used to come up with all these cool commercials when they wanted to teach you stuff like smoking seats and you put the cigarette out on your tongue and all this stuff. So 
I'm hoping that we'll get some some sexual assault campaigns where a guy is like kissing a girl and he says like, do you want to do this? Or I don't know, like something. <laughs> it's like, this is what consent looks like. See, I just gave away a commercial. No, I like but, it. But, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, something where it's not like, is it okay if I, but just these very um, gentle ways of asking permission. Yeah. And not assuming that this is something someone wants to partake in. Even if you're at a party with someone and things are going well, there should still be consent. You know, like these sort of things. I think we will start to see like some cool campaigning around like how to talk about these things in a way where both parties feel like this is something they want to do. You use the word permission, Nedra, and I Along with this, I have greatly appreciated that not only is the work to be aware of myself and my own healthy boundaries, but of course, by proxy, I'm now looking at, you know, especially those closest with me, my, my kids, my wife, people I work with and start questioning. And, and I would like to think that I had before, but not this tangibly to say, what, what are their boundaries? Where can I sense discomfort? Or can I even like, I, again, use the word permission. Why not ask, Hey, is this mm-hmm. Okay. Are you okay with shaking hands or if we haven't seen each other in a week, a hug, or does that make you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to ask things that I have not thought to do. I think that I'm caring. I think that I'm sensitive, but I can kind of go past that and just ask. And I like your word permission. What a great way to understand people's boundaries is just flat out ask. So I'm on that journey as well. Uh, intellectual boundaries. That was mm-hmm. one that I would have, I don't think I've ever put those two words together. So give us some highlights on intellectual boundaries. Yeah, I think of the ridiculing around someone's thoughts and ideas. It's one thing if we are different for someone and our thoughts and ideas, but when we ridicule, dismiss, demean people for thinking differently or having different ideas, such as why would they dye their hair that color? Or why would they, you know, those sort of things, it can be a violation. If we're saying things to people um, directly, it could be a violation. Um, You know, why are your glasses so big or whatever? It's like, wow, I thought these were really cool. Thank you for telling me I don't look nice, (laughs) you know, Uh, because your style even is a part of your self-concept, your thoughts and ideas around who you are. And so just thinking about your political beliefs, your values, your desires for yourself, all of those things are so important. And we have to respect people even when they're different, if they're not harming anyone. There is no harm in some of the thoughts that people have, even when they're thinking differently than us. When we think about some of the things that people say that we really, you know, get upset about, it's like, how does this harm other people? How is it harming you? Okay, well, let's go ahead and and, and risk a volatile topic to pull that one out. Uh, the okay. vaccine right now. So okay. I, we, I just did a show in my True Life podcast, and we talked about that. We did a poll of, you know, people who, who got vaccinated who are not. And talk about a volatile topic. And what we really came to on the discussion is how can anybody have such certainty to take a totally, you know, a hundred percent stance on this mm-hmm. thing when you know none of us are experts, the experts are out there and they can't agree as well that there is, um, 
Well, and so go to social media. And so go to the literal poll that we did and some of the social media stuff. Talk about a lot of intellectual uh, boundary violations. We do that on social media. We're so free to express our own opinion and to disrespect somebody else's. I wonder, would you say that, that social media is kind of a prime playground right now for a lot of intellectual uh, uh, boundary breaking? Um, absolutely. And I think, like you said, with the vaccine, I think it is a very tough topic, but, um, I think it's one my friends always laugh because they can almost ask anything and I'm going to be neutral. And they're like, you're always so neutral. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of in the business of listening to sometimes things I don't agree with. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I just I have to support people. I can't, you know, can it's it's inappropriate to some extent to convince people to think like me. That's just not appropriate as as a role of a therapist. So, you know, I'm here to help you talk about your beliefs, to help you think about them. I'm not always here to tell you this is what you should do because I think it's best or this is what the CDC says or this is what Dr. So-and-so says. I think, you know, in the matter of the vaccine, we all know what people are saying in terms of why you should be vaccinated. And then we have the other side of why you shouldn't be vaccinated. And at the end of the day, it's not a law. It's a personal choice. Now, some people don't like that choice. Um, But I think it's something that we will have to figure out how to be in community with people who think differently than us about this. And I think that for the people who have chosen not to be vaccinated, they to to themselves, they have very valid reasons, you know, and I don't think you can always argue people out of their thought process, even if you feel like you have a legitimate basis, they feel like they do too. And so particularly on social media, when we're arguing with strangers, with family members, we are both coming from the standpoint of, I know what I'm talking about. Yes. (laughs) And we're talking about two different things. Yeah. (laughs) And those things don't always meet in the middle. And that is tough. And I think you have to decide if you want to be in community of relationship with an unvaccinated, vaccinated person, this type of belief system, this political affiliation, this, these are all things that you have to decide. And um, I do think that social media makes it more of a space to um, talk about that. I've certainly um, received messages where people will say, you didn't post about this political issue. And then I'll post about something. And they're like, why are you picking a side? I'm like, well, they just said I didn't post it. So it, it's one of these things where, you know, you have to think about what feels good for you. And you have to do that thing because some of those things are not going to be in line with other people based on their experiences and their lifestyles. And I don't know what that is. I only know, you know, what uh, my experiences are and what I'm willing to do. Um, but I have made a boundary with myself to not argue with people on social media. 
<laughs> Beautiful. Well, you said this. I actually, you just said this a second ago. You can't argue people out of their thought process. Yeah. When has anybody on social media been argued out of or convinced out of their thought process? It doesn't happen. We just sit there and debate and try to convince. And I, I you said that word too, Nedra. I feel like that's become a red flag for me when I'm trying to convince, share my experience, share it out of, out of love, but with grace that this person has their own journey. And who am I to be convincing? I have to think about that a lot with my children specifically. Um, yeah. how about emotional boundaries? That is one that I assume a lot of people are going to think, yeah, that's, that's gotta be, uh, we all relate to that. I think to, to a decent degree, but again, hit some head some headline top tier emotional boundaries that we often miss that we're not aware mm. of validating or invalidating someone's feelings. I think so often we are so uncomfortable with people feeling discomfort that we try to make them feel better or we try to get them to stop feeling it. Okay. We say things like, you're okay. Oh, it wasn't that bad. You'll get over it. He wasn't that great anyway. You know, all of these things in an attempt to make people feel better. And sometimes they do, rarely. But in most instances, it makes a person feel like, am I overreacting? One of the biggest things that that I treat as a therapist is feelings. Because so many people come into the therapy space feeling as if they are um, odd or abnormal for feeling certain things. Is it, you know, is it weird that I feel upset with blank? Is it weird? And I'm like, no. Like, if we polled everyone who's coming to this office today, they would all feel weird about that. The issue is we're told that we shouldn't. We're told that we're okay. We're told that we shouldn't have a problem with this and we need to move on. We're told that grief should be, you know, something that we just quickly get through. We're told, we're told, we're told. And that's not what any of us feel. So I want to dig into that one just for a second, because if you have some, to sort of validate somebody's feelings, when you have that person who is expressing what you would feel, and I'll, even you, Nedra, that you would feel mm -hmm. like that's an unhealthy, you're coming from an unhealthy place. You're having an unhealthy reaction. You're spun up about something that, again, this is not, this is not what a secure person would do. And so you're doing that. Mm -hmm. How do you look at that and validate their feelings, even though you're not in support of how they are reacting? Mm -hmm. Let me say, how, how's that? How do you validate then? understand you. I see how that could feel difficult. Would you like to talk more about it? How can I support you? Is there anything that I could say that will give you some comfort? Um, there are so many other things we could say other than telling people how to feel or encouraging them not to feel what they need to. Or invalidating. Okay. I mean, cause I, that's one Nedra. I mean, you could imagine, as I say that I've, I struggle with understanding my own negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So by proxy, I don't understand others negative emotions. And I think I have done a lot of invalidating and certainly not, even if I just shut up and don't say anything, it's not a validation and somebody can read so much into that. So ultimately that, how can I support you is, uh, I'll be playing with that one. How about, <laughs> how about material? boundaries. Give us some highlights there. 
That's your possessions. Um, your possessions are things that you own, things that are within your reach, things that are physical. Um, sometimes that's money. Um, often when possessions, we, we all have a story of loaning somebody some money or something or and it not being returned or it being returned broken or misused or not on time or, you know, any of those sorts of things. And those are boundary violations. I think about, um, you know, the biggest material thing that lots of companies do with their possessions is they put us on a play payment plan. And, you know, the boundary is pay by this date. If you do not, we will, you know, we will, do blank, 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 we'll charge you more, we'll do these things because they have expectations around, you know, allowing you to, to use the possession of cash that they're giving you, allowing you to use the car that they're loaning you. Like there is a certain expectation around how you honor this thing. So we've all had these boundaries, but for some reason in personal relationships, we feel like the rules are different. Goodness. Okay. Well, the anchor here then is time boundaries. And I, that's the one I am probably oversensitive to Nedra as a guy who likes to perform and produce. And I'm more of an introverted guy. I look at time as that's a big offering to give time mm -hmm. or to have time taken. And we made it acute here. So my business partner's a doctor, he's an MD. And I mean, he's literally on the, you know, on the clock for a patient. And so when I would walk in, we got to where we would joke and say, Hey, can I steal about five, about five bucks worth of time? Uh, cause I'm taking that from him. If he's sitting there mm -hmm. talking to me. And so we started playing with that with each other, that time, not to make it just a, you know, the time is money, but man, it, it is, it's, it's either money or to me, it's, it's recovery and rest. It's a lot of, mm. a lot of one of those or an investment in something that's important to me. Uh, and so, gosh, I feel again, but I'm, I'm grappling. I need your book because it can feel like I'm just being limited. Like I'm, uh, I feel guilty for saying no to time, but man, that is one that is so, so acute. So how are we doing that time boundaries wrong? Where again, mm. where are we most unaware? So I think time is is one of the biggest boundary areas where we have problems because everything is about time, our time management, yeah. um, things that people are asking us to do, um, our rest and recovery, sleep, all of these things have to do with, with time. And as we are looking at it, I think it is probably helpful to assign it a dollar amount. You know, if you think about whatever you make per hour, let's say $25 and, you know, you're on the phone with a friend, like, is, is this something that's of value to you? Was this a good use of your time? Was it not when you're doing, you know, certain tasks? Is it a, a way to, you know, maybe work smarter in this area? I mentioned, um, like cutting back on breakfast as a way to save time. Like, you know, um, I have a lot of little hacks that I do where it's like, I don't like to think about that. Um, but I think time is such an important thing because we certainly feel like it's this endless thing and it's really not. It's really not endless. And we often wonder, how is that person able to do all of this? It's like, 
it's the way that they allocate their time. They're not superhuman. They're not doing anything that's impossible. They're allocating their time in a way that makes it you know, possible for them to do these things. And I wonder what our lives could look like if we were just more considerate of ourselves. Yeah. Considerate of ourselves, honoring ourselves. Again, it's just vernacular that we're not used to. I'm so grateful for you bringing this to us, Nedra. I get the bestseller list from my literary agency every week, and uh, I remember it was it was after I got the book. I've got the I got the old galley copy of your book here, and then I saw it <laughs> pop up on that bestseller list. Not the I want people to hear not the Amazon uh, some uh, odd category bestseller list, but New York Times bestseller list because I think it's something that we need. I need it desperately and I see the need out there. So grateful you brought this book and message to us and grateful that uh, you spent the time with me because I'm, I'm the biggest beneficiary right now, but I'm grateful to give it to the audience. Nedra, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Friends, Nedra and this message on boundaries, again, not just a message that I was able to just hear and, and benefit from. I am studying it, applying it to my life. And I started by stepping back and considering what was depleting me in my life. What was giving me burnout? What was causing bitterness? What was limiting me due to not having boundaries? And again, it's a dichotomy at face value, but I'm getting it more and more. Nedra's book again is Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. I highly recommend checking it out, studying it, and working to apply the principles to your life. It won't be easy. It may even take some, especially with the relationships, some getting worse at the beginning. But to remodel something better, you've got to first do some deconstruction. Coming up in episode 906, I polled my audience with this question. Do you feel your work is necessary, honorable, worthy? Uh, and, and share if you don't think it is as well. And we generally look at our work with two measuring sticks. Do I like it? And how does it pay? What are the benefits? But ultimately, we're helping provide a product or service to people at the end. How do you feel about that end product or service? Do you feel it's an honorable and worthy offering to people, a benefit to them? Because how you view it matters greatly, not just to your fulfillment, but to your overall level of possible success in your work. So Tom Ziegler and I talk through the comments and come to, I think, some significant discoveries. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we all inspire our true performance together.